Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 5. And uh, we'll be dealing with a very familiar passage of Scripture, I believe, uh, to most of us anyway. One of the Beatitudes this morning, and I just felt like the Lord wanted to spend a little time on this subject. Uh, we, we live in a world that is full of war and strife, and yet the words of Jesus here... In Matthew chapter 5, in verse 9, it says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. One more time, Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Now, I would say that most of us, if, if uh, we could choose a uh, life uh, task, if we would, could choose something that would be said of us, uh, would we not like this to be said of us, that we are peacemakers? Amen? Uh, some of you may remember that uh, I looked it up, the word peace in the Oxford English Dictionary, and uh, uh, the second definition was... A revolver manufactured humorously called the peacemaker because when it was finished, there was quote-unquote peace. Uh, That's not the kind of peace Jesus is talking about, amen? Uh, But uh, it's interesting that even the Oxford English Dictionary noted that uh, uh, famous uh, uh, revolver as something that people called a peacemaker, or, and uh, they also made a peacekeeper. Uh, but the simple thing is, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Now, how many of you have ever tried to bring peace to a situation? How many of you have ever tried? I mean, around the Montoro house, that's a fairly familiar thing. People said, do your children ever fight? Are they children? Are they alive? Uh, yes, they have disagreements one, uh, one with another. And, uh, and part of dad's duties of being a father is trying to keep the peace. Amen? Trying to make peace in the house. And, and sometimes... Uh, that just is seemingly not possible, and so we'll sit one down here and the other down here and let them stare at each other until they decide to make peace and be peaceable among themselves. And, and normally that doesn't take near as long as you would think, uh, because it's not fun. There, there is no joy in strife. Now, I know we've met some people who we think that that is their only pleasure, their only joy in life, is making strife. But Jesus said here, there is blessings for the peacemaker, that this is a special blessing of God that he will put in their life, and they're going to be called the children of God. I think that would be something. You're in church on Sunday morning. That would be a title that, that we would all desire. Amen? To, to have it be said that we are the children of God, that we bring peace. 
And so what I want us to do is, is let the Bible kind of define this thing called peace and try to uh, uh, search some scriptures. And then we're going to come back at the very end to the, our text and, and look at it once again. I want you to turn with me to Joshua chapter 9, if you would. Joshua chapter 9. First of all, I'd like to tell you that peace is something that you can make. Uh, we go through uh, the Bible, and there are several instances. We're going to look at the first one where they made peace. Joshua chapter 9, verse 15 says, And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live, and the princes of the congregation swear unto it. Now, if you're here for our Sunday school time, just a few months uh, from a few weeks from now, uh, we will go through this lesson right here. And, and so we're not going to take time to get into all the details. But Joshua had entered the land of Canaan, the promised land, and there were wars that were being fought. And the people of Gibeon, one of the royal cities of the land of Canaan, one of the greatest and most powerful cities in the land of Canaan, said, we don't stand a chance. Here's what we're going to do. Is we're going to get the oldest clothes we can have and the oldest wineskins and the oldest sandals and, and we're going to stand there and pound them in the dirt until they look old and worn out and the oldest, moldiest, crustiest piece of bread we can find and we're going to travel as if we traveled a great distance. And we're going to try to deceive the children of Israel. You know what? It worked. It says they took of their provisions and they sought not at the Lord. And they said, surely you've come from a far country and you want to make peace with us. And the Bible says that we can make peace. But... Joshua did ask a question. He said, what happens if we find out you've deceived us? And they said, we'll be your servants forever. We'll be your slaves forever. We will never be free. We are willing to sign this. Now, guess what? Those men who were making that statement knew what they were saying because it wasn't going to take long three days' journey, and they were going to come to the outskirts of Gibeon, and those ancient-looking, old and tired travelers were going to say, this is our city, and this is our people, and you promised to let us live. Now, I don't know what, you would, what else you would call that except a total surrender. Would you agree with me on that? I mean, the Gibeonites signed away their freedom. They knew what they were doing. In fact, we will find these Gibeonites, when the children of Israel return from the captivity in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah as the temple servants, and they had become so indispensable in the carrying out of the sacrifices and all of the ceremonies and traditions in the temple, that they could not, that, that the Jewish people, the priests, felt that he could not reinstitute all of the temple practice until they had enough of these descendants of the Gibeonites there to do the work. Now, I don't know about you, but that's an amazing thing to me. 
You talk about a lasting peace. There, there's a peace. Amen? And so Joshua made peace with the Gibeonites. And later on, even in the story of, of David, we went through the life of David. David had to answer to God for Saul's breaking of these promises made here in Joshua chapter 9 because they said that they would let the Gibeonites live and Saul persecuted the Gibeonites and killed some of them and God required Saul's evil at the hand of David, the next king. God's pretty serious about this thing called peace. He likes it. It's a reflection on the goodness of God. Amen? When He gives peace, that means there's a freedom from hostilities. That actually a true peace is more of an insurance or an agreement or a promise that was not like what we use the word promise today. I promise, I promise. Cross my fingers, it really doesn't mean anything. Uh, you know, the simple truth of the matter is, the reason we have such a problem with promises today is we have a problem with character. Amen? A promise is only as good as the person who makes it. Don't you wish we could teach Congress that lesson? I saw a bumper sticker on a sewage truck the other day. It said, Danger contains political promises. And uh, tend to agree with that sentiment. Uh, there's a lot of danger in lies. And I mean, our, our society is full of lies. It's like the parachute company. Every parachute we pack comes with a lifetime guarantee. If it ever fails to operate, just return for a full refund. How many want one of those? Not I... I don't want a guarantee. I want it to work. This actually happened in World War II. They were preparing for uh, a large uh, jump. And uh, what happened was those parachutes were often packed here in the United States. And they had to be packed a certain way and very carefully. And they were trained. And... and uh, a lot of times the guys before the jump would go through and they'd pick out a little slip of paper and said, this parachute was packed by so-and-so in such-and-such -such a city. And uh, as they were preparing the jump, the one guy went through and he said, I know my parachute's going to work. And they said, why? He said, my mom packed it. How in the world did he get that one, my friend? Nobody knows. It was just one of those things that happened in the war. A documented story. Guess what? It worked. But peace can be made if the parties involved will simply be honest with each other and work to make peace. 
You know what? The Gibeonites made peace. They said, listen, we're not looking for incorporation into Israel. We're willing to be your servants because that's what we believe about you and your God. And God elevated those Gibeonites to a position that was high above even the normal Jewish person, that they were the servants of the temple of God. And they had a possession and an inheritance that God gave them. And they were so indispensable that when the Jews returned to their land, it says, we need these guys too, because they're part of us. Even though they're not who we are, we made peace with them, and that peace is a lasting peace, and we're going to serve in the temple. Now, we're not going to take a lot of time this morning, but not all peace is true peace. How many of you remember the wonderful peacemaker Jehoshaphat? Hello? I saw one hand and I saw one nod. Uh, how many people know about Jehoshaphat? Uh, give me some kind of... Or we're going to have to go through the story here and, and take a lot of time. Jehoshaphat was the king and... Uh, according to Second Kings chapter 22, he made peace with Ahab. You know what? He made an agreement with Ahab that there be no more war between Israel and Judah. That they would be as one. And guess what happened? Ahab said, if we have peace, let's go fight the Syrians together. Was it a lasting peace? No. Because it didn't take long for Ahab's family to die off and the next, genera- the next dynasty and northern kingdom came into being. They were still fighting wars and plotting against each other. But here's the real problem. Jehoshaphat brought political peace and destroyed his own family and endangered his own lineage for the next four generations because of his peace with Ahab. In fact, his daughter-in-law would murder his own grandsons. Can you imagine that? But, But the Bible says that Jehoshaphat made peace with Ahab. Let me tell you something. There are some pieces, there are some types of peace that just aren't worth making. One of the saddest chapters in American history happened after World War II when we made peace with the communists in Russia and sold Eastern Europe into slavery for two or three generations. I'll tell you what, true freedom, true freedom is not only freedom from hostility, but it's an assurance, insurance, it's proof, it's a solid set of principles upon which hostilities cannot start again. That's why we'll never have a true peace in this world until Jesus comes back. 
there have been some, there are some historical things where we've had true peace for, for several generations, and we praise the Lord for those. But I'll tell you what, it takes two parties to pledge their heart and soul together to have peace. By the way, your peace is not only something you make. Thirty-three times in our King James Bible, it says, hold your peace. How many of you know what that means? That means you don't have to say it. It's a really nice way of saying, shut up. Hold your peace. Now, why does, where did that phraseology come from? Why do we say, be quiet, hold your peace? Because the reason you're saying it is there's no peace inside. You just got to get it out. Anybody ever been there? You don't have to admit that. But we've all been there on occasion where it just, it just has to be said. Somebody said, one time we were talking about something, they said, well, I'm going to be the devil's advocate. I said, we don't need any more advocates for the devil. He has plenty already. Well, you know what I mean. No, I'm not accepting that. We're not just going to argue for the sake of arguing. We're not going to disagree for the sake of disagreeing. That's not what it happens When we talk about holding your peace, what we're talking about is having no need to say something. Wouldn't that be wonderful? That you could rest fully in the circumstances of the situation. Brother Franz talked about complaining and and all of that this morning, and I'll tell you what, you can complain about anything if you want to. But if you have the ability to hold your peace, guess what? You're free from words. When I was a little kid, my mama taught me, Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words, names will never hurt me. You know what? That's a lie. Bones heal. Wounded spirits don't heal so easy. It's peace is something you can hold. You know, sometimes we need to look down inside ourselves... And realize the reason we don't have peace is because we've got a problem. We've got a disagreement. We've got to get along with God and we've got to put this thing to rest. Because we're not trusting in God as we should. Because if we were, we wouldn't have to say something. Perfect peace have they which love thy law. And what does it say? And nothing shall offend them. Why? Because God is so much in control that they're unoffendable. Now, I wish I could stand up here in the pulpit today and tell you that I am the living evidence of that verse and nothing offends me because I'm so full of God that it doesn't anymore. I'd be lying. 
You know what? I'm still a human being. We're working on things. I, I still like that Sunday school song. He's still working on me. I'm glad he is. And he never gives up. But the simple truth of the matter is, if we look at how the word peace is used in the Bible, uh, it is used as making peace, the cessation of hostility, the insurance and assurance that hostilities are not going to flare up again, that there is going to be peace. You can make false pieces. We have illustration of that. And it's something that you can hold. What did Job say to his counselors? He said, hold your peace and it would be counted wisdom. He said, if you guys would just shut up, somebody might think you were smart. And God came in and straightened those counselors out at the end. And guess who had to help? He said, uh, Job, if you'll pray for them, I'll forgive them. And about that time, we'd say, hey, God, can we just put this whole thing on hold for about 15 minutes? There's just a few things I'd like to get off my chest before I pray for him. You know what? Job had peace in his heart. He didn't have to say anything except, God, please forgive and help these men who so wrongfully thought they were helping me. Peace is a wonderful thing. Freedom from other people's works against us. Freedom from the strife of words. And I'll tell you, you know when you're in a strife of words because it starts twisting a knot down here long before it gets out here now, doesn't it? And so, we look at this, and, and these are many of the ways that peace is used. And we're going to look at the, uh, the next type here, to have peace in your life. Turn with me, if you would, to John 14. And most of us know this verse, but it won't hurt for us to read it again, to look at the words here. This is a night in which Jesus was betrayed. He has just told Peter at the end of chapter 13 that he was going to deny him. He told the other disciples they were all going to forsake him. Judas had already left to betray him. And in verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He said, I'm going to give you peace. He said, I'm going to give you my peace. I'm not going to give you a worldly kind of peace or a temporary kind of peace. I'm going to give you spiritual peace. Now, I think I need to throw this in here. When I was reading one of the commentaries on, on Matthew chapter 5, and it said, this is an amazing verse. We're not really sure whether it's talking about spiritual things or socio-political things. Now, I'm sitting here going, here we have evidence of a commentator who has no idea what the Bible is about. Because 
If I have spiritual peace, guess what? The rest of it follows. I can be at peace in a time of war. How did the psalmist put it? Thou preparest the table before me. Where? In the presence of mine enemies. If that is not one of the most beautiful pictures of peace in the Bible, I don't know what is. Because normally in the presence of my enemies, what am I doing? I I want the adrenaline flowing. I I want that agita present so that I'll be able to hit harder or shoot straighter or or swing my weapon well. I I I want that edge. And yet, You don't get that edge sitting down to a nice, great big meal. You know, when they run the marathon, they have a pasta feed 16 hours before the marathon. Why? Because they want to pump their bodies up all full of those wonderful carbohydrates so that they can expend them on the run. But it takes about 16 hours to process them so you can get the energy. Uh, Normally in a battle situation, okay guys, time clock, 16 hours till D-Day, let's go, let's eat all of our pasta, and then we'll be ready for the conflict. Now, if you knew you were going into battle, you'd probably be so nervous you couldn't eat. You see, Jesus said, I want to give my peace. Now, how do we get that peace? What kind, how does it work out? Turn with me to Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Yes, these are very much overlapping what we're going to cover in the next few minutes here, but there is different uh, um, prepositions being used here, and they show us a difference in direction. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace. What's that next word? Will you read it out loud for me so I can hear it? Let's try it again. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you have peace with God, the Bible says you have to be justified. In order to be justified, you have to be saved. Amen? In order to be saved, do you not have to totally surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen? Am I in the wrong church this morning? If you don't totally surrender to Jesus Christ, you're not saved. Would you agree with that statement? That's Scripture. You say, how do I totally surrender? Well, you get started and God will take care of the rest. Don't fall into the sincerity trap of how sincere I was when I uh, asked Jesus to save me. I, I don't think I meant it enough. That's not Bible salvation. True and lasting peace, just as in Joshua, was when two people made an agreement. The Gibeonites said, we can't fight. Against Israel, we will not fight against Israel. We do not want to die. Therefore, we will agree to be their slaves forever. We will serve them because we want to serve 
their God. And you say, how do you know that they wanted to serve their God? Is because the promise was, we will be hewers of wood and drawers of water into the house of our God. And Joshua uh, uh, made that the agreement, and they totally surrendered to that and, and took that harness upon them and that bondage upon their lives and upon their children gladly. Why? Because they wanted to have peace. You see, if you do not have peace with God, you can't have peace with yourself. And if you don't have peace with yourself, how in the world can you be at peace with another human being? This is one of our biggest problems today. We, we don't even have peace with ourselves. Why do we fight, struggle and fight so much on the inside? It's because we haven't surrendered to God first. And it says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When I signed that peace treaty with God, August 28, 1977, I got saved. God has never been at war with me from that moment. I have never been at enmity with Him except... When I've disobeyed him. But where do I go to make it right? I go back to him. You know why? Because we have an agreement of peace. He paid for all of my sins on Calvary's cross. Therefore, there's nothing I can do that will offend God and make him alienate me from his love. Read Romans chapter 8. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God because He's made peace with us. And God always keeps His Word. Guess what? When God promises something, do you think we can trust it? Amen? But I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7. Because you need more than just peace with God. If you're going to live in this life, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7, it says, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. How many would just identify and say, Pastor, I need a little bit more of that kind of peace in my life right now. I need the peace of God to keep my heart and my mind, uh, to keep me from discouragement, to keep me from thinking wrong thoughts about God. I need the peace of God to rule and reign. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. I'll tell you, there's only one reason why our church will stay together and will continue to operate as a church. It's when I have the peace of God ruling in my heart and you have the peace of God ruling in your heart and therefore we cannot be at enmity with each other because we're serving God. Amen? 
You see, the peace of God will keep your hearts and your minds. The peace of God will rule your heart. The peace of God will make us love each other as members of the same body and the Lord Jesus Christ. And if we got issues there, we got issues of peace. I've known some churches where there is no peace in that church. Where, where people are fighting with each other. And I'll tell you what, those churches don't live very long. Because that's not the way God works. I get so sick and tired of people saying... Yes, what we need is more unity in the body of Christ. You've got to drop your doctrinal distinctives so we can all get along. Hooey! That's Jehoshaphat's peace. That's not God's peace. God's peace is based upon His Word and His promises and our agreement with those words and promises. And even though we can't always keep up our end... It's God's grace and His peace that keeps us trying again. Someone asked me years ago, why do I keep coming back? I said, because you're addicted. Uh, what, what do you mean? Hey, listen, when God's peace is in your heart, He'll bring you back to His church. Because that's where you belong as one of His servants. Amen? That's, that's the only place to serve Him. And, and I love to put it in the United Nations' face. They claim to be the organization of peace. I don't know any organization that shed more blood than the United Nations in its short little term of office. I mean, others have done it, but they've been around a lot longer. Uh, it's... What man does with peace is not what God does with peace. That's why Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. You see, it's the peace, it's peace with God that allows the peace of God to rule in my heart. And then I just want to read you some verses quickly here. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 3. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from our, the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1, 2. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 1, 3. Grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 2. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Do I sound a little rep, rep, uh, repetitious there? Because Paul, when he was greeting the churches, he said, you need peace from God. I'm going to pray that God gives you his peace. Now, what I want us to do is turn back to Matthew chapter 5. Now, a peacemaker is simply one 
who causes there to be peace among two offended parties. Would you, would you, I mean, you can't get a simpler or more working definition than that. That's what a peacemaker does. And the Bible said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Now, who is the great peacemaker? It is Jesus Christ, is it not, who made peace through the blood of his cross. And here Jesus is speaking and saying, blessed are the peacemakers. So how can I bring peace? Should I get a bunch of guns and go out there and stop those who would fight uh, against peace and bring anarchy and destruction and slavery? Well, sometimes we're called to do that as a nation, not as a Christian. If I want to bring peace, what do I got to do? I got to help another person find peace with God. What do we call that? We call it winning souls. How does that happen? Uh, it only happens when God works in another person's life. But guess what the Bible tells us? He wants to use every one of us, every person in here, if you can communicate in any language, if you can talk to another person and put sentences together, God wants you to communicate His peace to others in this world in which we live. But if there's going to be true peace, there's got to be an agreement that is made. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know what? If you want true peace, you've got to help others make that agreement with God. But you know, sometimes people won't get saved because of what they see people who call themselves Christians doing. That's where the peace of God has to rule in your hearts and minds. It has to keep you. It, it has to instruct you. It has to give you the ability to get rid of self and everything that we are. You see, I would like to think of myself as a peacemaker, as a pastor. Uh, many times I've been called into situations where people are... Uh, at odds one with another, husbands and wives and brothers and sisters. And, and sometimes uh, I'll, I'll say, let's just sit down and let's start talking. Let's sort this thing out and let's see if we can find a, a biblical answer. And one of the things I tell every married couple that I've ever dealt with, if you're saved and she's saved, there's absolutely no living excuse in this world. 
why God can't bring peace and happiness into your marriage. Because we're called in one body. That's talking about the church. But what is the picture of Christ's relationship with the church? It's marriage. Now, if you have one person that's saved and one person that's unsaved, uh, you know what? I can't make the same claim. Because an unsaved person cannot rely on the power of God to give them peace in their hearts. You see, sometimes peace has to be made and sometimes it needs to be held. Amen? We have all kinds of situations in this world. I wonder what would have happened in the nation of Iraq, and I'm just thinking out loud, and forgive me this morning, but just think about this. If instead of going in and respecting the religion and the culture and the tribal differences in Iraq, if we had flooded the country with Bible-preaching churches and had explained to them that the reason we have peace in our country with so many diverse people groups has been because people, whether they're actually members of a Bible-believing church or not, have accepted what Jesus has said about loving your neighbor as yourself and that you do not you are not born with the privilege of hating and despising other people Amen Do you think things might might have turned out just a little differently than they did You see not all religions are created equal not all gods are created equal. There is only one God. And he said, blessed are the peacemakers. But the peacemakers bring people to God. Because that's the only way, place you can get peace. You see, they shall be called the children of God. Because they act like it. Because they behave like the children of God. Did you get that? See, if you're a child of God and you have peace with God, and you're regulated by the peace of God that is ruling in your heart, that is keeping your mind and your heart, if the peace of God is doing that, then you can take the peace that comes from God And offer it to somebody else. But if you don't have the platform built, this is the heart of all false religion. Come as you are, stay as you were, don't worry about you, just love Jesus and everything will be cool. That's the new religion. I heard one of the best explanations of contemporary Christian worship by 
a talk show host that I don't know if he's saved or not. But I just heard him talking about it, and he says, How can you be upset when all the people come in? Wait a minute. Let, let's apply that a little differently. Let's put it in a political sense instead of religious. And we have all people in the world who believe all kinds of things. And really what we need to do in order to have peace with, uh, with Islam is just all become Islamic. Wouldn't that bring peace? Well, they say it would. So when, why is Islam fighting Islam? I mean, in Iraq, aren't they both Islamic? If their religion is such a religion of peace, why are they fighting each other? Someone said, well, the Christians, the, the Catholics fought the Protestants. Yeah, they really did. But guess who they both made peace with each other to fight? The Baptist. And guess who never fought anybody? I mean, they have defended themselves on occasions, but they never started a war, not in all of history. You know why? Because our job is bringing peace. You have to have peace with God first. You've got to be saved yourself. Then, the peace of God has got to be ruling your heart. It will keep your heart, and your mind. And when you find yourself as Peter was, the Bible, Jesus told him, says, the devil desires to sift thee as wheat. He said, but I've prayed for thee. And when you're converted, you can strengthen the brethren. Does that sound like peace? Sure does to me. Peter didn't grab that peace then. He was to fail that night because he wouldn't take advantage of the peace that God offered him. But I'll tell you what, it sure took an awful lot of peace with God to stand up on the day of Pentecost and be the preacher. What do you think? If anybody deserved not to be the preacher on the day of Pentecost, who was it? Peter. He was the one that verbally denied the Lord. None of the other apostles did that. But why did God use him as the preacher? Because he had peace. There was nothing between him and God. He had the peace of God ruling in his heart and mind, and he was no longer thinking about Peter. He's thinking about God. He's thinking about the testimony of Jesus Christ. And the only thing he could do when he was put on trial, as the others were, was offer that same peace to the very people that were tormenting him. Isn't that what he did? There's none other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. You see, they're going to be called, the peacemakers are going to be called the children of God. Because they deserve that title. Because they took God's peace to the world in which they live. 
And I want to be careful here. And I want, I want our church to be careful. Getting saved is not just praying a prayer. There are people out there that will tell you, all you need to do is pray this prayer and you'll get saved. Uh, God is not a bead on your rosary chain. I'm sorry. The Bible says, for with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. And I'll, I'll tell you what, we've over the years have had many people who have prayed and asked Jesus to save them, and then they're gone. You see, I can't look in the heart. You can't look in the heart. None of us can. But God can. And you know, I believe that's one of the reasons He's given us the church. Because we've had people come to this church for years. And they said they were saved, and they said they knew everything was taken care of with God, and then several years down the road... I remember getting a call early in the morning from a lady who no longer attends our church. And she said, Pastor, I think I found my problem. Finally, I'm not saved. And I said, I believe that. I didn't say that. Part of me wanted to. I said, but are you sure about this? Yes, yes. She said, I... I always believed God loved me because of what I did, and, and, and I thought He hated me because of what I did, and now I understand that it's just God and not me. And she got saved. Amen? And she had peace with God. You see, the church will help you Figure out what's going on in your own heart. Have you ever been there that you didn't even know what was going on in your own heart? That you were confused? And, you know, I remember one fellow called me up and, and said, Pastor, he said, I need some pastoral advice. He says, I'm trying to figure out whether I'm supposed to marry this girl. And I'll wake up one day and I know it's God's will. And I'll wake up the next day and I know it isn't God's will. And... And I'm just so confused. And I said, it's real easy. He said, what's that? I said, neither one of them is God speaking to you. God doesn't talk to you that way. When His peace comes in your heart, you don't have to. Oh, dear Lord, please let me know. Because you have a peace with words. You don't have to say something. You don't even have to pray. Because God's already given the answer. And you have peace. Amen? But you don't know what they're doing to me. I don't care who they are. And though I am concerned over the personal suffering you're going through, I don't really care what they're doing to you. What you need to do is get peace with God... And then turn the tormentors over to God. Now, that's much easier said than done. But if you've ever been able to do that, 
People say, Pastor, why doesn't it bother you? Well, it doesn't bother me because I have peace with God. And the peace of God tells me He's going to take care of it. And then there's nothing left for me to do except go find somebody else that is willing to accept God's terms and make that agreement so that they might have peace with God. You know what? It takes some time. We've had people come to church for months, finally make a decision for Christ. Let me tell you something. I I don't want to rush that because I want it to be real. I found one thing. I can talk, if you, if you gave me a little bit of time, I could talk just about anybody into praying a prayer and asking Jesus to save them, if I wanted to. I, I think I have a little bit of able to, uh, uh, ability to communicate, and, and if I wanted to, I, I can uh, manipulate your thought processes, and I try never to do that. That's not what Bible preaching is about. But, but if I really wanted to grab all of those worldly tools, I could, I could twist you and pressure you into doing things. But it wouldn't be of God. But when a person is being dealt with by the Holy Spirit, there's absolutely nothing I can do to stop them from getting saved. Do you see the difference there? It's not our job. We're peace bringers. We're peace makers. But until that person is honestly 100% willing to accept God's terms, there's never going to be peace with God. That's why we don't back up on separation. That's why we don't back up on godly music. That's why we refuse to back up on Bible versions. That's why our doctrinal statement does not change. And by the way, we didn't get it from ourselves. We got it from the Word of God. And uh, I still love to tell this story. I remember reading a book when I was uh, 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 formulating our church constitution and bylaws written by a man named Peter Reidman in the 1500s in a prison cell. And he was just trying to keep himself from going crazy while he was in that dungeon. And he quoted verse after verse and he said, this is what I believe. You know what? I could have taken Peter Reidman's writings from the 1500s and put them into our church constitution and they would have been in Almost total agreement. You know why? Because he had peace with God. And the peace of God was ruling in his heart. And he wanted to offer the peace from God to anyone who would accept it. You see, blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the children of God. Why? Because that's what the children of God do, my friend. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask that you would take this verse and put it into our hearts and our souls.
Lord, I'd be the first in line saying, I, I need more of this peace. I want to be used more. And I believe that that prayer would be echoed from many hearts here today. Lord, I ask that you would work that we may actually, truly, many times even without our knowledge, be used of you to be peacemakers. Lord, we need the blessings. But much more important than that, if we are here today and are saved, we need to behave as your children. I would ask that you would help us to do just that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother.